Hi, welcome to The Bottom Line with Bob and Kendall Ehrlich. We have a very special guest today, a friend of my husband's. I'll let him introduce him. But before we get to that, an expert in Afghanistan and uh, some very topical issues that we'll be discussing with him. But you first want to talk about next week's show for some reason. Why is that? Because of our wonderful adventure yesterday is why. Uh, So I had prepared, before we have our friend Bobby Charles come on this week, I'll introduce him in a minute. We were going to do a show this week on the unforced errors, what we see occurring in the country, the the chaos at the border, Afghanistan, underemployment, sort of a lot of the unforced errors that are playing out in American life today. And then yesterday, we lived, we're, we're all living part of those unforced errors, but yesterday we lived an unforced error. Uh, because we had uh, gone to our son's college football game on Saturday. We typically come back on Sunday. Southwest Airlines uh, to Pittsburgh, 39 minutes. No fuss, no muss. We get to the airport. The lines are huge. 1,000 flights canceled. Vaccine mandate contagion was the... <laughs> no rental cars to be found no rental until cars. finally we did find one. But the, the, the moral here is this contagion, I suspect, and you read and is going to hit other airlines, hit other sectors of the economy, the military today, potentially. Uh, there are a lot of Americans who are resisting the vaccine mandate, the mandate. And uh, we lived part of it yesterday because a thousand flights were canceled, including ours. I have a sort of a beef with your term unforced errors. I think ah, is good it point. unforced <laughs> errors or is it forced errors? Uh, How about but, gratuitous errors? How's that? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's the term. We'll work on that between now and next week. So next week, uh, we'll, again, a little teaser here. We're going to talk about the economy and uh, paying people not to work and the vaccine mandate and trillions in new spending, trillions uh, on the horizon, trillions in new taxes on the horizon. And, uh, 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 and then, as a former governor, the unfunded mandate portion of what uh, – the leadership and what the Democratic majority in Congress want to do, tying the two bills together, the 1.2, the $3.5 trillion, quote-unquote, regular infrastructure, quote-unquote, uh, human infrastructure bill. So, again, a little tease for next week. And the good news is people are speaking out, and that's a segue into this show today. Yeah, our special guest this week is an old friend of the Ehrlichs, old friend of Ehrlich World, old friend of Ehrlich Campaigns, old friend of Bob and Kendall. You're old, Bobby, is, is uh, the bottom line. Uh, Bobby Charles is the president of the Charles Group, a consultant and lobbying firm in D.C. He's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. I reminded myself of your resume, your incredible resume. Uh, looked it up, Bobby. Uh, of course, I knew about Dartmouth and the, the Masters at Oxford and the J.D. at, at Columbia. Uh, Bobby was Assistant Secretary of State under Colin Powell, Narcotics and Law Enforcement. You mm-hmm. two could talk forever on that. A White House staffer under President George H.W. Bush, uh, 41. Staff Director, Chief Counsel for National Security Subcommittee of the House Committee of Government Reform, where we got to know each other. Uh, Naval Intelligence Officer at Office of Naval Intelligence in the Pentagon uh, with the Chief of Naval Intelligence. Uh, Bobby is uh, highly respected on Capitol Hill, a, a great friend of ours. Bob, thanks very much for doing 
uh, being our guest, doing the show and being our guest this it's week. It's a privilege to be with both of you. And I have to tell you, over the many years, uh, this sort of seems like it's overdue. We, we, we share so many uh, views of the world and the world needs those views now, I think. So. Well, speaking of your views, Bobby, that's why you're here. Uh, so, Bob. I want to get into uh, Afghanistan with you briefly and then uh, Colonel Schiller specifically. So what do we know, Bobby? We know that President Trump, with respect to Afghanistan, we know President Trump cut a deal with the Taliban. Uh, We know that benchmarks were part of that deal with respect to Taliban behavior. We know the CIA left town weeks before uh, our military withdrawal. We know that contractors, uh, those contractors who were servicing fixed-wing aircraft, and other assets uh, left, uh, and as a result, the Afghan army was uh, without support on the ground in that very important capacity uh, as the Taliban uh, became more aggressive. We know that troops left uh, Bagram uh, Air Force Base in the middle of the night. We know the president was advised to keep at least 2,500 troops in country uh, during this process. Uh, We know that he ignored their advice. Uh, We also know major sectors of the Afghan army gave up, quit the field. We know that uh, our troops left with Americans still left behind, an issue we're going to talk about here. We know that there are Americans, again, still uh, there. And uh, we know that there have been no dismissals, no firings, really no repercussions with respect to what occurred. So, Bobby, from 30,000 feet, your Two minutes on what went down in Afghanistan. Yeah, so as you know, Bob, I set up all the police training in Afghanistan in seven locations for Powell uh, and President Bush. And what we just witnessed here is, I think, the operational definition of a political, moral, strategic failure. Uh, It will be studied for years as the way never uh, to behave on foreign soil with Americans at risk. Uh, what do we know right now, just in a nutshell version, sort of bullet points? Uh, I'm told by people inside state there are more than a thousand Americans still left in the country. Uh, we never leave civilians. The civilians leave first before we meet, leave with the military. That's always the way it's done. There's no justification, strategic or otherwise, for having given away Bagram. It had two, uh, it had two runways, uh, Kabul. It was remote, it was secure. Uh, Kabul had none of that. Um, We have more than 100,000 allies that worked with us over the last 20 years who are still hiding inside right now. I get video clips now and again of the firefights going on right now between the Taliban and ISIS. Uh, It's a horrific situation. It is entirely at the feet of President uh, Biden, Harris, uh, Blinken at state, Austin, uh, Milley, and Sullivan, the National Security Advisor. It is a catastrophic error in the way that they uh, uh, chose to leave. And the notion that this is somehow Donald Trump's fault is, again, completely false. There was a a tick-tock. There was a chess game. There was a move versus move, benchmark to benchmark process by which we were to extract ourselves from Afghanistan. And actually, it was moving in that direction. It required the integration of the Afghan government into that process, which is what President Trump was doing. Now, Bobby, let me stop you there for just one second. Uh, President Trump has been criticized for keeping the Afghan government outside of negotiations with the Taliban. I I think there's some legitimacy to that. Do you agree? Uh, You're you're right about that. So here's the problem. And we all know this intuitively in our our own hearts, right? If you're going to be beholden to somebody, they need to be in the room. If someone's going to offer, you know, if you're going to, let's say, be grateful to them for giving you a job, they need to be the one that offers you the job. Uh, And the problem is that there was a 
Zal Khalilzad, who sort of goes all the way back to the Bush era, uh, comes up through the Obama and Trump era, uh, is one of the guys that was sort of designing that process. My personal opinion is that they should have integrated far earlier the Afghan government. Uh, but again, you know, these are advisors advising a president. And what they were telling him was that they could integrate them in toward the end, that there would be respect, that there'd be everybody at the table. And here's the bottom line. If we had troops in there, if we had a tripwire the way we did in the Philippines after World War II, the way we did in Germany and South Korea, anywhere in the world, you would have accountability. When you pull all stakes and run like a scared dog, uh, gosh, goodness, I mean, you're never, there's no accountability. And so, you know, to me, it's a double or triple tragedy. You've got Americans in there. You've got allies that believed us when we said we would not go without getting them out of there. Uh, and now you have this power projection platform that is completely dominated by uh, Taliban, with which ISIS is fully integrated and, well, with which Al-Qaeda is fully integrated and ISIS is, is present. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, the notion that today's story that, you know, we should be proud because the Taliban showed up and acted professionally. That's what the State Department said about a, a negotiation. Yeah, acted professionally. They are literally going house to house and killing our allies, those who helped Americans because they helped Americans. Uh, that's not professional. That's nothing. That's terrorism. And, and uh, you know, the bottom line here is we need to stand tall against terrorism now and forever. This should never have turned out the way it did. And this basically just becomes the textbook case for a failed domestic, international, political, moral, strategic uh, thinking. This is just, it's endemic in this administration, but it is also a classic example of what you never had. So, Bobby, um, yeah, that, <laughs> that sum, mean, well, sums no, it up pretty has, well. I mean, just think about these families and what they're going through. Oh. It's just so appalling. It's appalling on so many levels. Stories on air because they're too graphic. But I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, I am in touch with people who are who are directly in touch with families that are in hiding and are being persecuted. And it is as bad as you can imagine. So just think about it. And the legacy media will not cover it, will not cover it. So, Bobby, uh, we've talked about Afghanistan uh, quite frequently over the past couple months, appropriately. But last week, last couple weeks, the case of Colonel Schiller uh, arose, and I thought of you immediately. Uh, so, uh, not as though our audience needs to be reminded, but we have a highly decorated Marine, and I'm the son of a Marine, and you love the Marines, I love the Marines, we all love the Marines. Uh, <laughs> Multiple combat tour uh, tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, a battalion commander uh, charged with several offenses per the Code of Military Justice. You are very familiar with the Code of Military Justice. Contempt, disrespect, willfully disobeying an order, uh, dereliction of duty, failure to obey, conduct unbecoming an officer. The facts here are really not in dispute uh, because of what you just described in Afghanistan uh, this particular colonel went on the web and he has been very obvious and notorious and out there very visible with respect to his condemnation of what went down how it went down and our military leadership he was told to shut it up and he did not uh, actually he continued his criticisms even after he was ordered to stand down he demanded accountability from the military leadership and as a result uh he was uh, thrown in the brig. Now, Bobby, I have some very specific questions for you that our audience, I think, needs the answers to. And, and the first is, he spent a week in the brig before charges were filed. How unusual is that? Yeah, so 
you know, I would like to point out that this is not the middle of World War II in Pavuvu or, or Guadalcanal or we're in a moment in American history where he was, uh, this is not one of 10,000 cases of somebody who got drunk and got thrown in the brig because that's, that's the status of what is happening in a wartime. This is a very specific targeted uh, event. And, uh, you know, my big picture before I get to the specific answer, Bob, is, is this, um, we, we are people of conscience. Um, the American military is actually filled with people of conscience. Uh, we do sign a page two saying that we will give our lives. I did for 10 years, uh, if it is required of us. We also say that we will live by the UCMJ, uh, the Uniform Code of Criminal Justice, and we will, we will abide by restrictions. I was never critical of a president while I was uh, in uniform because I knew there were consequences to that. On the other hand, the notion that you would intentionally politicize, that you would uh, target, and, and then, and this is the real kicker, that you would levy disproportionate punishments against an individual for their political views, above and beyond what's required by the UCMJ, and indeed, in some ways, not permitted by the UCMJ. Hey, but Bobby, the let, let, let me intervene there, because uh, very specific, my second question to you is, they would not let him retire voluntarily, and that's what you're referring to, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So let's hit both your questions. First of all, um, being thrown in the brig, um, you know, he knew what he was doing. He knew there would be a penalty. He did not expect a disproportionate penalty. He did not expect false imprisonment. He did not expect a lack of due process. He did not expect the implementation of the UCMJ to be done in a way that flouted actually the history of the UCMJ's uh, application. So I think the notion that we don't in this country take patriots, even when they have stepped out of line by speaking in a way that violates what would be a provision of the UCMJ. And they've, they've identified five of those provisions. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, um, uh, conduct unbecoming, et cetera. We don't take those kinds of offenses and turn them into a disproportionate premise basis for, for intentional punishment above and beyond that because of your political views. Um, so, you know, the question about resignation, typically, if you put your stars or your stripes on the table and resign your commission, you're done. Uh, that would be the normal course of events. And I can, I can give you a chapter and verse of people who disagreed, as he did, with, the, uh, with, a, with a, an internal decision of some kind. And as a result, uh, feeling that they couldn't live with the implementation of that decision or they, they were uh, disaffected deeply by it, uh, uh, and they were in a position to resign their commission, did so. Uh, I mean, names that you would recognize, incidentally, right now. Uh, so, you know, the notion, number one, that you would be put in the brig without any charges, without any out, outside understanding of when you'd be pulled from the brig, uh, that doesn't that's that doesn't strike me as right at all. And nor does the idea that you wish to tender your resignation. You're in a position to do that. You're giving up all your benefits. Uh, you know, you, you, you know what the consequences are and that somehow you're not permitted to do that. Again, it smacks of politics, Governor. And that's the problem. We do not politicize our military. Uh, we need readiness is our number one. Uh, our number one objective within the military. Uh, we do need professionalism, and that's why we have the UCMJ, and it differs slightly from civilian law, for sure. Yeah, but, the criminal uh, defense lawyer to my right here well, is I was uh, just going to say, Bobby, chomp I, at the bit. ideally we don't politicize our military, but I, after watching uh, General Milley, I think no one's convinced of that right now. And, and Bobby, Bobby, also to add to Kendall's comment, 
and, and sort of our list of indictments concerning the military leadership here, they called him a flight risk. That was the <laughs> alleged <laughs> premise. Yeah, you have to be clear headed about this, right? I mean, this is not a guy that, you know, that, that's up for some felony act that he's going to try to get to El Salvador for. No, this is not what this is about. This is about a guy who spoke his conscience. Everybody knows this. This is a guy who said, I'm going to violate a provision. This is like civil disobedience, okay? And here's the bottom line. If you sit down in the middle of the highway because you believe in civil rights, you, you need to expect that they're going to probably lift you up and take you over here and get you arraigned and then let you go. OK, that's going to be how it works. And in the military, we have different uh, provisions, but the basic idea is the same. The notion that you would disproportionately punish this person leads to the necessary next question. And that is, are you doing that? In order to chill speech across the United States government, are you across the United States public? Are you doing that because you're exercising, in effect, extrajudicial political behavior within the military in order to, uh, in a sense, uh, cudgel people into understanding that they need to share your view or they're out? Uh, you know, we, we were never told that we had to change the views we had up here. OK, we were only told that you couldn't. Uh, publicly express those in uniform if they contravened uh, the president of the United States. And that's, that, that's, actually, that's actually a very valid provision. And the, and the reason is that in this country, our military works for the civilian command. Uh, our national command authorities, we respond to the president of the United States. He is a civilian. Um, and, uh, and so that discipline is very important. But you have to remember that just as important as discipline is proportionality in the application of the UCMJ. And that's, I think, the issue. At I love your point. My, my final question, I know Kendall's got, must add something as well, but my final question to you is, as I said, in view of what you said, what we, and I think your civil rights analogy in the middle of the highway is very well taken there. What is the appropriate penalty in this case? We know his motivation was very positive. We also know that he disobeyed a direct order what, in Bobby Charles' view, is the appropriate sanction in this case? Well, just to just to you know remind people of how low on the totem pole I really am in the <laughs> civilian world. In the civilian world, I had some interesting titles and did some interesting things. But in the military, I I left as a lieutenant commander, so I was never a flag officer. I was never a JAG. I was an intelligence officer, which is different. Um, you know, I would I think the the cornerstone here, Bob, is this basic point. It is that. We have a, a reasonable man's, reasonable woman's test. We don't, we don't impose in the civilian world or in the military world disproportionate penalties in order to extract, um, in a sense, a political uh, penalty, a political cost for your opinion. And you know, this is the First Amendment uh, has limitations. You can, you can, you can sign up to limit your own. Uh, speaking, uh, which we do, which, when you, we do. Go in the which you do when you sign up to the military. But my bottom line would be, you have to think on a scale of one to 10. Okay, they're punishing him at a 10. And probably this is down near a one or a two. Okay. And I think we've got to, we've got to remember that if this is how we're going to see the evolution of this country, then maybe it's not so surprising that we're also seeing a, a an attorney general of the United States for the first time federalize local school boards an attempt to call parents who, who speak out against educational policies like CRT uh, domestic terrorists, quote unquote. That is absurd. 
And so proportionality is lost in the name of, I would call it sort of uh, inane politics, but it's worse than that. I mean, Bob, not to overstate it, but I spent time behind the Iron Curtain, and this is the kind of behaviors you saw, this is the kind of behaviors you see in China today. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I mean, honestly, I, don't, I won't get into the details, but the, but the reality is we need to treasure and preserve, and those in our military and those in the White House need to treasure and preserve the rights we have in the Bill of Rights, even as they are modulated and modified in the UCMJ for military discipline. And if we step away from that, we're stepping away from traditions that go back to George Washington. Well, Bobby, um, and kind of what's the final word here? And I love your bottom line. It totally shows bottom line. We're a bottom line show. I give a speech with respect to what's occurred over the last 10, 20 years in our country. You've never heard it. It's Kendall says it's brilliant, so you should listen one day. <laughs> but it's about the denigration of speech incrementally, slowly, relentlessly over the past 10 years, 12, uh, 15 years in our country. I'm going to add this as another chapter to that story. Uh, Bobby, thank you so much for being our guest this week. I know Kendall has a comment or two she wants to add as well. No, I, I just think that people view this like regular people. If, if this can happen to the colonel who's given all of this service and uh, is speaking out truthfully based on video and things people that watch their television have seen, then if it's him, the next person is you. And I do think people are recognizing that. I hope that they are. Because I think this continues in this administration on many, many levels. And as our freedoms are withered away, uh, we need to speak up. We need to speak up in our local school board. We need to speak up in our office. We need to speak up at Southwest, even if it's inconvenient. And on and on and on. So we appreciate what you do and your understanding of this and, and your continued fight as well. Bob, you have the final word. You know, I, I just want to leave people with a thought that is often confusing, but might help them clarify their thinking about this. And it goes all the way up to General Milley, uh, in whom I am personally disappointed as an American citizen. Um, mm -hmm. The bottom line is this, and you know this, having been in the highest offices of this country, officers, office offers in Congress and in state government as a governor. The bottom line is if someone, if in the military or in the civilian world, if someone orders you to do something that is a complete violation of your conscience, um, that is to say a violation of principle, you have a choice. And that choice, I mean, Cy Vance, for example, in Jimmy Carter's world was the classic example. You can either say, this is a matter of policy, not principle, and I will salute smartly and implement it. Or this violates my personal moral code to the point that I need to resign. In my view, if Millie saw the disaster that was afoot, and we know that the head of ISAF in Afghanistan saw it and alerted him. We know that other flag officers saw it. In my opinion, your obligation is if you can't stand up and do that, then you need to do what Mattis did, and you need to resign, okay? And that's how you keep your conscience straight and America clean and clear to our principles. If, on the other hand, it's just a matter of policy, and you think you can smart, you know, you, you, you voiced your opinion, the decision is different from the one you advocated, you salute smartly, as I often did in the NSC, and you go forward and do what needs to be done. That is what was happening here. And that's why when he offered his resignation, that should have been the end of the day. You can't gag someone for the rest of their life. That's not appropriate. You can't falsely imprison them for the rest of their life. That's not appropriate either. Uh, so proportionality, to my view, is what's missing. 
And if we lose that perspective, that's just the first of the rights we're going to begin losing. Yeah, I would add, it, 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 we've seen this already, but more members of Congress need to speak up as well. Absolutely. Bobby, we love you. Uh, thank you so much. Our, our relationship is is has aged well. <laughs> um, aged indeed. Aged, aged indeed, but uh, we... You've been a great friend over many, many years. Um, thank God you continue to do what you do. We wish you all success with the Charles Group. We obviously have a friendship that will uh, go forward. We will get through the next months and years together. Uh, the country's stronger than any of this, but uh, these incidents, particularly these chapters, are challenging. Uh, they can be disheartening, but uh, what they say, the, the best deal, the hottest fire, right? And that's what we're going through today. Bobby, thank you very much. Godspeed. Thanks so much. And please listen next week as you heard our tease for next week. All things uh, in the economy. And also, if you want to restore your faith and common sense, go to BobRellick.com. It'll make you feel so much better. And the new book. And the new book coming the new out. Book. You That's can right. pre-order on Amazon. Godspeed.